Good afternoon. Thank you for coming back. It's good to see you back this afternoon. We appreciate so much you coming back for our one o'clock service. And hopefully and prayerfully what we learn about today will help us as we try to live the Christian life. We appreciate the opportunity to worship God in spirit and in truth. I want to invite you to turn to the passage read a moment ago. In the first chapter of John, John chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 35 down through verse 42 in our study together. And the title of our lesson this afternoon, Making a Difference in Life. I think that all of us have a strong desire to make a difference in the world in which we live. I would hope and pray that all of us can leave a mark upon the world in which we live, to leave a legacy. You remember Solomon talked about a good name many, many years ago. He said, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And so many of us, we have been influenced by others, whether family, friends, coworkers. People have had an influence on our life, on our thinking, how we conduct ourselves. And so what we want to do is to try to make an impact in the lives of other people. Some have said in days gone by, and I think it to be the case, that we want to leave the world in which we live a little bit better than when we got here. And that's our goal. I'd like to think that in my lifetime I have helped somebody. I think that you would probably echo those sentiments that you would like to think that in some small way you made a difference in the lives of others. What I want to do is look at the first chapter of John, and the first thing that I want to call your attention to is the revelation. Now begin with me in verse 35, the passage read a moment ago. The text says that again the next day John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Let's just talk for a moment or two about the mission of John. The mission of John the Baptist, or John the Immerser. Let's go back and look at verse 19. You remember the Pharisees sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to inquire about the identity of John. And they asked, who are you? John the Apostle said that he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ, I'm not the Messiah. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And you remember, he was to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, that being John the Baptist. And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he again, he answered, no. The prophet, going back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, the one of whom Moses in the law spoke of. And so he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make stray the path or way of the Lord. Taking us back to Isaiah chapter 40, some 750 years earlier when the prophet foretold of the coming of this great man that we call John the Immerser or John the Baptist. His mission was very simplistic, and that was to point the hearts and minds of people to the Christ who was coming, the Anointed One. John was about six months younger than Jesus. 
And so as you look at the life of John the Baptist, you remember back in Matthew chapter 3, when he began his public ministry, he said, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Lord, when he began his ministry, also echoed those same sentiments. Chapter 4, verse 17. And so we talk about the mission of John. His, his mission was to point people in the direction of Christ. We'll see that in just a minute. But then secondly, what about his message? John had a very specific message. I mentioned a moment ago what Matthew recorded about his preaching and teaching. When he said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Back up with me, if you would, and look at verse 29. Now here is insight into the message of John the Baptist. The Bible says that Jesus saw, or rather John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. John understood that Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, was God's Lamb. He was the one who would come to save, to redeem the human family. And note if you would, John said, He is the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. The only one who had the ability to remedy man's sin problem was Jesus the Christ, the sinless Son of God. You can go back and you can look at all the great prophecies that are foretold of the coming of the Christ. Those Old Testament sacrifices that were offered beginning during the period of the patriarchs. And then you make your way down through the period of the law of Moses, that dispensation of time. And they're offering sacrifice after sacrifice. But as the Hebrew writer said, in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance made of sin every year. Wasn't possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. But when Jesus came into the world, He was God's answer to the problem. And so He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now drop down if you would. Look at verse 36. Again, John said in the presence of, who, of two of His disciples, Behold the Lamb of God. Now I said just a minute ago that His mission was to point people in the direction of Christ. It wasn't about cultivating a following for himself. Matter of fact, over in chapter 3 in the book of John, in about verse 30, John said concerning the Christ, He must increase, I must decrease. And so, attention pointing in the direction of God's only begotten Son. And so that being said, look now at verse 37. After John said, Behold the Lamb of God, the Apostle John records these words. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. We're trying to point people in the direction of Christ. It's not about cultivating a following for ourselves, but rather pointing people in the direction of the one who can save the world from sin. And I know that sometimes... People will follow preachers. And they have certain preachers that they like, appreciate, respect, etc. But the goal of the preacher is not to cultivate a following for himself, but rather the preacher's responsibility is to stand in the shadow of the cross and lift up the Christ. 
Remember over in chapter 3, when Jesus, in his conversation with Nicodemus, going back to Numbers chapter 21, the brazen serpent or the brass of serpent, serpent of brass, he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So there is a revelation. This is Jesus, the Son of God, who's come to take away the sin of the world. But then secondly, note with me the investigation. Pick up, if you would, beginning in verse 38. Then Jesus turned and seeing them, that is the two disciples that heard John speak, and now followed the Lord. He asked them a question, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is, to, which is to say when translated, teacher, where are you staying? Now, number one, it's my conviction that these men were interested in the Messiah. They were interested in the one that John the Baptist pointed them in the direction of, that being the Son of God. And so you think about their interest and then link that to their investigation. I love what the text says in verse 39, Jesus responded to these two men who had, I believe, honest and good hearts. They're interested. John has pointed them in the direction of Christ. They're following Him. So when they asked the question, where are you staying? Jesus said, come and see. One of the things that we try to do every time we come together is encourage people to investigate the Scriptures. I think it's incumbent on us to investigate, to do our homework, our research, to find out all we can about Christ, the church, and His redemptive plan. Remember over in John chapter 3, we have a conversation that took place between Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus was a ruler among the Jewish people. He was a Pharisee. And John said that he came to Jesus at night. I think he came to Jesus at night for the purpose of investigating more fully the one that he had been hearing about. Remember what the text says? Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs or miracles which you are doing unless God is with him. So here's a man that was interested. And I really believe that he is trying to fully investigate the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. One of the things that Jesus did throughout His ministry, point people in the direction of the Old Testament prophets. Why would He have done that? Because the Old Testament prophet, prophets foretold of His coming. You've got over 300 prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. In Luke chapter 24, before Jesus ascended to heaven, you remember he talked about those things which were written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning him. Well, why did he point to those prophecies? Because they were penned about him and they were fulfilled in him. And so it's a matter of investigating more fully the claims. Nicodemus knew something about the miracles of Christ. And he was able to make a correlation between these signs that he was doing and the fact that he was someone very special. And so he wanted to learn more about the Christ. And I encourage you, 
Spend time every day researching, studying, coming to conclusions about what the Bible has to say. That's something that each and every one of us have to do. We can't do it by proxy. I can't study for you. You can't study for me. We can study together. And if you want to grow in the faith and be all that God wants you to do, you've got to spend time in the Word of God. Didn't Peter say grow in grace and knowledge? 2 Peter chapter 3. So we have the revelation, the invitation, and then thirdly, the proclamation. Let's pick up now, again in verse 39. The text says that Jesus, as I read a moment ago, said to these two disciples, Come and see. And they came and saw where He was staying and remained with Him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So now we have the identity of one of the men that heard John the Baptist point to Jesus and say, Behold the Lamb of God. This man, along with another disciple, they turned and followed Jesus. Now let's look, if you would, at verse 41 together. In verse 41, there are three things that stand out in my mind when I read this verse. Number one, note, if you would, the priority. Listen to what is said. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. His number one priority after talking to Jesus, investigating more about Jesus, the first thing he did was go back to his brother Peter and say, we have found the Messiah. That was a priority. Is it a priority to us to reach out to people that we know who are outside of Christ? It ought to be mission number one. Sin separates us from God. The answer to sin is Jesus. And so here is Andrew reaching out to his fleshly brother and saying to him, we have found the Christ. We found the Messiah, the anointed one. So there was a priority. But then there's a second key thought here. First, the priority. Second, the passion. Why do you think he went to his brother first and said, we have found the Messiah, the Christ? I think he did so because he loved his brother. Here was a man that loved his own flesh and blood, loved him enough to try to put him in contact with the Messiah, the Son of God. So what about us today? Do we love our family members enough to reach out to them and share Christ with them? Do we love our friends enough to try to share with them something about Jesus, the Son of God? Are we interested in the lost? Do we understand the magnitude of what it means to be lost? I can go back and read Romans chapter 3. 
And I hear Paul saying, There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I can listen to John when he writes over in 1 John chapter 3 that sin is a transgression of the law of God. And the only answer to sin is Jesus. And listen, the wages of sin, according to Paul, is death, Romans 6.23. So there was this priority, this burning desire to share Christ with his own fleshly brother. And I think when we talk about the church today, the church has to be a visible presence in the community. Sometimes we're the best kept secret in the city, aren't we? Jesus said, go therefore make disciples of all nations. That's our responsibility, to put the go back in the gospel. But then there is a third key thought, the purpose. Why was it that Andrew first found his own brother and said, we found, we have found the Messiah? That is, the anointed one. Why? What was the purpose there? Was there a purpose? I think the answer to that question is that he realized if Jesus was the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament prophecies, he needed the Lord, didn't he? Needed the Lord? Why? Because again, he was God's answer to sin. So there was a purpose. You remember in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we read about the genuine faith that dwelt first in Timothy's grandmother Lois and then in his mother Eunice. And then Paul would say, and I am persuaded in you also. Over in chapter 3, verse 15, Paul said, and that from a babe, from infancy, from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. All right, Paul, why did they teach him the Holy Scriptures? to make him wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Those two ladies made a difference in life, didn't they? I mean, they took Timothy as just a young fella and began molding and making him into a servant of God. Paul comes along, teaches him the gospel, he obeys the gospel, he becomes a great proclaimer of truth, a defender of truth. That wasn't accidental. But rather, it was a result of two people that loved him and realized their priority, their work was to instill in Timothy the truth of Almighty God. Our purpose today, point people in the direction of Jesus. We want to see them obey the gospel and then become servants of Christ in the kingdom of God. Now I want to ask you a question. Are you making a difference in this world? What kind of difference are you making in your own family? What kind of difference are you making at home? Are you trying to live the Christian life? You're trying to set the right kind of example? Are you interested enough to spend time daily in the Word of God by way of devotion? 
I mean, look, we want our children to go to heaven. Our goal is to develop within them a platform or foundation upon which they can build so that they might be people of faith. But if that happens, it's because we as parents took the time to share with them the truth of Almighty God. In all probability, the first time your children will learn about Jesus is when they are very, very young. And as a parent, you have the opportunity to begin molding and shaping that child and sharing with your child the truth of Almighty God and trying to lead them in a direction that we would call the paths of righteousness. That's the goal. And so it's an ongoing daily thing that we're trying to do. Your spouse. I would encourage people to marry a Christian because the goal is to get to heaven. And if you're going to go to heaven, it would only seem to reason that you want somebody who thinks like you do, acts like you do, has the same goals and aspirations. It only seemed reasonable that you'd want somebody by your side that's going to help you get to heaven. But it might be the case that you are a Christian, your mate's not a Christian, your mate's not a believer. How then can you lead them to Christ? How can you make a difference in their life? Number one, by way of example. You live the Christian life every single day. You try to demonstrate the heart of Christianity. Christ in you. And then secondly, you try to educate them. Sometimes you drop bits and nuggets of truth and you try to help them. Sometimes people are resistant to truth, even in the context of the family. So it may be that you can't sit down and teach them the Bible, but by way of example, you can teach them, like Peter talked about in 1 Peter chapter 3. So are you making a difference in the lives of your children, your mate? What about in this community? What about the world at large? Concerned about the direction of our nation? Solomon said, Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach unto any people. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. If our nation is to get back on track, it's going to, result, it's going to be a result of those of us who belong to the body of Christ teaching, sharing Christ, living the Christian life, trying to make a difference in this world. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? You're the salt of the earth. Does salt make things taste better when you eat? Most folks like salt, don't they? Why? Because that's flavor. So what we're saying is that salt makes a difference in our food. Isn't that what Jesus was saying? As the salt of the earth, aren't you supposed to be making a difference in the lives of people? Isn't that what discipleship's about? Then you remember he said, you're the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. In a dark room, does it help if you turn the light on? Make a difference? You ever tried to read in the dark? Light is a difference maker. And so what Jesus is saying is, as the salt of the earth, you're a difference maker. 
as the light of the world, you are a difference maker. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, You were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Can't we be light in a darkened world? Didn't John talk about the whole world lying under the sway of the wicked one? The world lying in darkness? Jesus said lights come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light. If the world is going to learn about Christ, if our nation is going to know something about Jesus, it'll be because of us, members of the body of Christ, trying to make a difference in the world in which we live, in our little community. Let me ask you a third question. Are you making a difference at Olive Branch Church Christ? Are you making a difference in the work of the church here? What are you doing to make a difference in this congregation? Fair question, isn't it? Now we could just come in and blow out and never get involved and Sometimes that happens. But to make a difference, to use our influence for good. When you teach a class, it doesn't matter what age, whether it's an infant or an adult class, you're making a difference. When you reach out to somebody who's hurting and struggling, or you send them a note or a text, you call them, and you let them know that you're thinking about them, you care about them, you're praying for them. Is that making a difference? Paul said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Yesterday we had a memorial service here for Raymond's son, Marty. And one of the things that we typically do is provide a meal for folks that have lost loved ones. Raymond said, we've got about 75 people that are coming and they'd like to eat with us. So Virginia Carden, as coordinator, made that happen. And all of you ladies, and it might be some of you men, that made dishes or brought food, you made a difference yesterday. That's all we're talking about. We're not trying to move the world per se, but rather we're just trying to do our part to do as much as we can in the kingdom of God. So these are things that, that make a difference. When you teach somebody the gospel of Christ and then you try to nurture that faith, aren't you making a difference? Sure you are. So there are a lot of things that we can do to make a difference within the context of the local body. You have your niche, I have my niche. We all have our own lanes to drive in. And so what I want to encourage you to do, pick a lane, stay in that lane, and do what you can. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians 2, how we are God's workmanship, we're His masterpiece? How then do we put that on display? We engage in good works, don't we? So these are some things that can make a difference in the lives of people. I really want to believe that all of us are making a difference in our own way.
And there may be things that you're doing as a Christian. It's not visible. No one knows about it. I don't know anything about it. The elders don't know anything about it, but you're doing something behind the scenes. Listen, you know what I'd say to you? God bless you. Thank you. Just keep doing it. So we have a tremendous group of people here. Jesus was able to change the world with 12 disciples. Literally, turn the world upside down. We have a lot of disciples here, don't we? And we can literally turn this world upside down by our efforts together. It might be that some of the things that we do, maybe they're not that noticeable. Maybe, maybe nobody knows anything about it at all. But let me tell you what, God knows. You remember the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 6 that God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. The next time you send a text to somebody and say, you know what, we missed you Sunday morning or we missed you Sunday evening. Or you send a text to somebody and say, look, I'm praying for you. You're in our thoughts and prayers. The next time you stop by and visit somebody who's hurting or maybe who is elderly and can't get out, you're making a difference. And the Lord knows about that. That's what being a Christian is, isn't it? Being a Christian is to try to make a difference in the world. Somebody said one time, no man is an island unto himself. So I want to encourage us to just keep on keeping on and doing what we can to make a difference in the world in which we live. might be that you're here today and you're not a Christian. You are not a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus said that we're to make disciples. We preach and teach the gospel of Christ. When people obey that gospel, they enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of Christ in their own life. So here's what you need to know. You need to know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for your sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That God wants you to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 4. That if you put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God, you're well on your way to living for Him. Because of that faith, you're willing to respond in obedience to the commands of Jesus. So you repent of your sins. You're baptized into Christ, and God adds you to the church. You can read about that in Acts chapter 2. And then you live a faithful, godly life in Christ Jesus. As Paul said, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. You just keep living that steadfast, immovable lifestyle. And everything that you do will be done to the glory of God, and one day, the Lord will own you and crown you in heaven. If you're here and you're not what you ought to be as a child of God, maybe you'd like the church to pray for you, to help you get back on track so that you can make a difference in the lives of people. Listen, we'd be honored to pray with you. Be more than happy to. So won't you come as we stand and sing?